Welcome to the weekly Comic Web Old Time Radio Program podcast. We sell old time radio programs, Golden Age comics in PDF format, and we have other free podcasts. Visit comicweb.com for more information or find us on Facebook and iTunes. This week, our podcast features an episode of Counter Spy called German Spies. It first aired on December 14th, 1942. Counter-spy. Washington, calling counter-spy. Washington, calling counter-spy. Harding, counter-spy, calling Washington. Harding. Counter-spy, calling Washington. Philip H. Lord, Counter-spy. is proud to present Philip H. Lord's Counter-Spy, a dramatization packed with thrills and adventure. The fascinating portrayal of undercover agents working against enemy spies within our borders. All over this great country tonight is an invisible army of men and women highly trained to protect us from professional enemy spies within our borders. Imagine Chief Counterspy of them all as David Hardy. In Pittsburgh, Henry Hughes, cultured, well-educated, and sophisticated, entered his hotel suite on the seventh floor. Seated before a dressing table... In the bedroom was his most attractive wife. Hello, Laura. Fixing up a little? You're late, Henry. Oh, uh, some matters down at the office. I guess I'll send for a drink. Want one? I've already had one. Oh, having a drink alone, eh? Perhaps you weren't alone. You swine! You insinuating pig! You come in with a thinking way you have it. I know where you've been. At the office, yes, the office. With lipstick all over your collar, night after night. Coming in thinking, I don't know. You think I'm a fool? Stop it, you little pagan. Pagan! I gave up everything to you. It's a family, money, position, honor. I followed you every place you've gone for ten years. You sham, you fake traitor. What's that, Laura? Oh. 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 No, I... I can't cry. I can't even do that anymore. Oh, why do I love you so? Now listen, kid. You've been great. Sure, sure, I've been seeing someone else. But you know, it's business. Now as soon as I get all the information I'm after, we can leave this country. 
We'll be rich the rest of our lives. Now, I can't tell you the things I'm doing. I'm not allowed to. The Gestapo would kill me. But they promised that if I make good on this job, it means a big job over there. We'll get out of this country. But this is my country, Henry. Can't you see what I've been through for years? Loving you. Ready to die for you. But cheating all the time on my country. Which means more to you? Your country? Or me? You. There. That sounds more natural. Well, Laura, I've got to go out for a while tonight. Now, you go to a movie or something. I'll be back as soon as I can. Where are you going? I've got to drive over the mountain to Connorsville. It's uh, about 90 miles. You lie. You're lying like you always do. You're going with her. You're letting me down. I can see it in your eyes. Well, you can't. You won't. Now, wait a minute. Okay. Okay, come along. I'll prove it to you. You mean... You mean... You want me to go with you? Yes, I'll prove to you that it's business. We'll have some drinks, drive over, and make a good time of it. You mean it, Henry? I'd rather have you with me than anyone else. Oh, I'm such a fool. But I do love you so. Dangerous to have around you and your jealous streak. Help! Turn your head off. Nobody will ever hear you up here. You're going over the cliff. Oh, no. The injection was just enough to make you unconscious. When they find your body, it will have bled naturally. An accident. Your stomach full of liquor. Oh, 
journey, my dear. Now to get the front wheels over. Now the back wheels over. Why, yes, certainly. 
Aren't you Elmer Booth? Why? Why, that's the most amazing thing I've ever heard of. I, I've never seen you before. Well, this meeting isn't quite as accidental as it might seem, Mr. Booth. For certain reasons, I didn't want to go to your home. Uh, I'd like to have you look at my credentials. Nothing. Oh, nothing to be nervous about. Okay. Have I done something wrong? I uh, I just wanted to ask you a question, Mr. Booth. Do you happen to know a man who works for your company by the name of Henry Hughes? Why, yes. Oh, wasn't that a catastrophe? His wife's death. Yes, a terrible thing. Mr. Bruce, of course you pay all the employees of the bronze casting company by check. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, 462, uh, counting the two janitors at night watching. Uh, that is the last count of that. I see. Uh, Mr. Bruce, tomorrow your accountants are going to call on you. And Mr. Harold Lawrence, the president of your firm. Oh, yes. These accountants are going to recommend that you pay the employees from now on in cash instead of by check. Oh, no. I want you to fall in with the accountant's plan to pay from now on in cash. But, but I, I couldn't. I'd be untruthful. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Bruce, but these happen to be government orders. A great deal depends on them. Well, I'm sorry, too, Mr. Harding. I respect my government, but even for it, I... I couldn't lie. Mr. Bruce, it's very refreshing to meet a man of your principles. I, I, I don't wish to be an unreasonable prick. I just want to do what's right. Well, uh, couldn't you say, under the present-day circumstances, you recommend paying by cash? And you wouldn't have to say what circumstances. Yes, I see. Mm -hmm. Well, that's rather delicately skirting the truth. <laughs> well, I might for my country. Oh, that's fine. Now, you'll receive from the bank each week some separate bills of different denominations, which we will have the numbers of. Now, you are to put these designated bills in the pay envelope each week of Henry Hughes until notified to the contrary. Oh, yes. And you're not to mention to anyone under any circumstances that you have met or talked with me. Oh, my gracious. That's a big responsibility. I hope I'm a big enough person, Mr. Harding. After all, I've always lived in my very small way, and I'm not a broad or big person. I know all about you, Mr. Bruce. You're considered a very fine person. Thank you. Now I'll have to leave you. I'm going back to Washington. Jane Seven has just arrived from Pittsburgh by train, Mr. Harding. Send him right in. Got any news? Quite a bit, Mr. Harding. Very interesting. Uh -huh. Well, let's see. This report covers two weeks. Yes, sir. Henry Hughes has received two pay envelopes, each containing $125. All of that money was marked. 
and the banks were instructed to watch for it and to make careful notes where the different bills were turned in from. Hughes spent about $80 each week. got paid Saturday. By Monday noon, the bank had received $20 from the Berkshire Clothing Company, $15 from the Red Moth, that's a nightclub, $30 from the hotel where Henry Hughes has his apartment, $5 of the money was received by the bank from a little cigar stand around the corner. He was evidently changed the bill there. Mm. Well, let's take Tuesday. A $10 bill from the gasoline station and garage where Hughes keeps his car. Uh, let me see that second week's report. I think I know what you've noticed, Mr. Hardy. Let's see. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh-huh. Yes, first week. Monday. Wednesday, Friday. Yes, sir. Three times each week, one of those marked bills was returned to the bank from the Rebel Arrow moving picture house. Uh, how often does this uh, Rebel Arrow moving picture house change its feature pictures? Twice a week, sir. Mm-hmm. And yet Henry Hughes, shortly after his wife's death, over which he grieved greatly, goes to a certain movie house three times each week. Although they change the feature picture only twice a week. Yes, Mr. Harding. See the J-4 goes to Pittsburgh immediately. Get the job as usherette in the Rebel Arrow Moving Picture House. And have her contact me for further instructions. Yes, sir. Well, this case is beginning to look pretty big, George. I have a feeling that we're going into action. We'll continue tonight's case of Counter-Spy in just a moment. But first, here is a message of vital importance to women and girls who want to take an active part in the war effort. Your country needs you and needs you now as a student nurse. The need is so great that 19,000 student nurses will have to enter mid-year classes in January and February. Will you be one of them? You won't attack the enemy, but you'll fight. You'll fight pain. You'll fight casualties. Even as a student, you'll release some experienced nurse to help our fighting men on the fields of battle. Here is a direct call from your country. To answer it, women and girls between 18 and 35 who are citizens and high school graduates in good health should write to Student Nurse, Box 88, New York City. That's Box 88, New York City. And they will give you full information.
reporting to Harding from Pittsburgh. J4 reporting from Pittsburgh. Harding speaking. Proceed. The man in question entered theater at 410, went down center aisle to row D, asked the girl to remove coat from a seat, and sat down next to her. After a while, spoke to her, and from then on, they carried on conversation. This happened Monday and Wednesday. The same girl each time. Who is the girl? Phyllis Lawrence, daughter of the president of the Bronze Casting Company. What? Yes, sir. Oh. I'll contact you later. Harding. I'm leaving for Pittsburgh immediately. Tell J7 I'm going to call on Mr. Lawrence, president of the Bronze Casting Company. Besides, his wife was just killed. 
Why, Hughes is a fine man. I'm sorry, Mr. Lawrence, but Henry Hughes is a member of the German Gestapo. He's lying. He's lying. It isn't so. Don't you believe him, Father? Felix, have you been listening? Yes, and Henry isn't a spy. He's a patriotic American, just as patriotic as you are. What? Henry. Henry. Henry who, Felix? Henry Hughes, if you've got to know. I've loved him for months, but I wouldn't see him. Then when his wife was killed, I didn't see why I shouldn't see him. He's honest, he's decent, and I'm not ashamed. I love him. Phyllis, do you know what you're saying? I can't believe... Uh, Mr. Lawrence, I'll leave. I think this is between you and your daughter. Father, this man has tried to poison your mind. Henry Simon, you know it. He's my sweetheart. I'll call you shortly on the phone, Mr. Lawrence. Goodbye. Phyllis, I want the truth. How long have you been seeing this man, Hugh? How do you know he isn't what Mr. Harding said he is? How do you know? I do know. And he loves me. Ask him. He doesn't love his wife anyway. He told me. Ask him. I'll ask him nothing. You've been meeting him behind my back. You've been lying to me about where you were going. You haven't told me a thing about well, it. Well, why should I? Is it a sin to love a man? It's a sin to love an enemy. That man Harding must know what he's talking I'll about. I tell you it's lies, 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 a pack of lies. I'll prove it they're lies. I can see under the shade. Harding's driving off in his car. Henry, that fool, that stupid ass. I'd like to have my hands on him. He's killing his wife that's right up to this. I told him not to. Uh, but he was afraid of her. She got so jealous. We've got to get out, Phyllis. Things have gotten too hot. No, it isn't all up yet. Henry's driven over the mountains tonight. The Pontus guys evidently haven't arrested him yet, and we can see that he doesn't talk. On his way back here, he's found with a bullet. Yes, yes. Let's get the car. We'll drive and meet him. Do you think Harding was suspicious of us? No. I don't think you're a respectable businessman and I'm your innocent daughter, let us say. And to warn us. It is safe if we can do away with Henry before he talks. What's that? What? That package by the chair. Right there. Oh, that's where Harding is sitting. Must have been in must have been in such a hurry he forgot it. Wait a minute. It's a short way, sir. Oh, the trick. Harding left that here to trick us. He said everything we said. Quick. The car in the garage. Don't stop for a thing. Come on. You drive. Oh, time it is cold. Shut up. I'm starting this. I'm afraid it won't go. Yes, the distributor cap is missing. And I wouldn't move either one of you. Two of my agents are in the back and have you covered. Very clever. And the next time you go to a theater to meet a man, Phyllis, if you ever do, be sure and look around and see who's sitting in the seat behind you. What my daughter has done has no bearing on me. Why am I arrested? Oh, come, Mr. Lawrence. You've been operating this factory on money supplied by Berlin. You make parts for airplane motors so that your firm is close to many manufacturers and you have access to their plans. And besides... He's not your daughter. He's Fräulein Grok. Henry's responsible. The fool, he ought to be shot. That's just what he did. Killed himself when my men went to arrest him. Henry? Yes. Henry. Your father.
back in just a moment to tell you about next week's exciting counter-spy case. But in the meantime... We wish to call your attention to the government's urgent appeal for the conservation of gas for cooking and heating. Gas must be conserved for the following reasons. It is used for fuel by many industrial plants, which are now expanded to double or triple their normal peacetime size. And it is used widely in the manufacture of armor plates, gun barrels, and similar equipment, which must be hardened or molded at extremely high temperatures. Because its flame is free from impurities and the flame from coal or oil, gas is used almost exclusively in these processes. And gas is in itself a raw material for certain products, synthetic rubber, for example, and ammonium nitrate, which is used in the manufacture of explosives. That is the why, and now here's the how, of gas conservation. Don't use the kitchen range to heat the house. If you heat with gas, keep your house below 65 degrees. Cook with a low blue flame. Use hot water sparingly. Those are directions direct from Uncle Sam. Now, they may not sound as intriguing as an assignment to track down and capture enemy spies, but the conservation of gas, practiced by millions of soldier citizens on the home front, will be echoed in cheers of victory from our fighting men, because the conservation of gas will help give them equipment and weapons they need. Counter Spy will be back with you again at this same time for The Case of the Trail Count, The Society Woman Who Talked Too Much, The Highball Glass Served by Waiter 37, The Man at the Zoo, The Long Underwear at the Railroad Station, and The Ultra Polite Third Degree. That's next week's unusual Counter Spy. <laughs> Christmas. Give the presents with a future. The greatest gift of all, a share in America. Give war bonds and stamps. Counter Spy was an above-average spy drama broadcast from 1942 to 1953, written by Philip H. Lord, who also created Gangbusters. It presented the adventures of David Harding, ace counter-spy, in his successful attempts to foil enemies both at home and abroad. Each episode begins with a solemn voice intoning, Washington calling counter-spy, Washington calling counter-spy, followed closely by the expected dramatic musical stings. This was followed by some variation on the following, depending on the tenor of the times. Backing our great army and navy at the front is our invisible army of ace counter-spies who work quietly, effectively, and swiftly against the enemies in our midst. They are the dread of the German Gestapo, the Italian Obra, and the Japanese Black Dragon. Imagine the ace counter-spy of them all as David Harding, specially appointed with authority to work however and wherever he will. 
After the war, Harding's post-war efforts were against all manner of evildoers, including racketeers, bootleggers, drug runners, and counterfeiters, usurping the authority of any number of federal, state, and local agencies in Philip Lord's fictional reality. The role of Harding was voiced by actor Don McLaughlin, who had a small television career in his subsequent decades, primarily in daytime soap operas. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.